Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 328 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. In a bizarre time, we're recording this on a Saturday afternoon, kind of an impromptu feel. It's been a few days since we talked, and even a couple days since Sean Coleman waited on this on uh, on this podcast network about the Atlanta Braves. The parade has now happened. The celebratory glow continues in my fair city, and I am joined by someone who's not in the city, but who still is glowing, Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. Yeah, I think... I think moving forward, so this is episode 328 of the Talking Chop podcast. I think it's only fair that we introduce this as the World Series champion episode 328 <laughs> of the Talking Chop podcast. Uh, keep this thing going. I, I'm unfortunately not in the Atlanta area. I was not able to take in just the craziness and chaos of the of the parade yesterday, but good to be on and lots of stuff to talk about. Yeah, it was it was chaos. We'll we'll hit on some of the highlights, uh, including lots of swearing and uh, lots of, of petitioning for Freddie Freeman to, to return to Atlanta. Um, but before we before we do that, and also end up the second half of the podcast will be kind of a broad. I want to stress broad off season overview. We'll definitely dive into some of these things as we go, but kind of hitting the highlights of what's to come in the next few months. Uh, but first, a couple of minutes here on kind of the afterglow of the actual World Series run. You know, you and myself and Eric talked about it at length the night of, but it was the night of. We were kind of rambling, and as, as you might expect, there was some emotions involved, and uh, Sean also added to that um, this week. But a couple of stats we talked about and I wanted to pull. This is actually uh, this is one from you. I, I want to ask you, Scott, uh, how many runs the Braves allowed in their 11 playoff victories because you tweeted that out, and I almost lost my mind. Yeah, 18 runs. In the 11 games, the Braves won 18 runs. That is crazy. And obviously they gave up some more runs in their losses. And that, that makes sense, right? You lose a game. The other team scored more than you. They had a couple games where the, the other team scored and got some things going, but yes, in the 11 games, the Braves won in the postseason. they gave up 18 runs total. And that was against the Houston Astros who were number one in basically every overall offensive metric last year and the Dodgers, who were number four, um, and even the Brewers, while they weren't great, I mean, it's not like they beat up on the Pirates lineup. So just a remarkable job by the pitching staff. And when I was doing the math on it, I was like, man, I, I can't believe this. Yeah, it's really wild. And to add on to that, uh, a few more that made me laugh out loud when I pulled them. Um, the leading player on the Houston Astros roster in slugging percentage in the World Series was Zach Greinke. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's awesome. an all, that's an all timer. Now granted it's yeah. three, it's three plate appearances, but he, he got two hits, three plate appearances. Um, if you remove him, 
Uh, no Astro had more than a 481 slugging. Now, 41 is very good, so don't get me wrong. Sure. But normally, over the course of a six-game series against an awesome lineup, somebody would have a slugging above that, and nobody did. Houston's OPS as a team in the World Series was under 600. It was 596. They slugged 299 as a team in the six games of the World Series. Well, and that, that includes their wins, by the way. Yeah, and I, I didn't realize this either in the moment, but the only home runs the Astros hit, they hit two of them, and they were both by Jose Altuve. Yep. One he was on a level team in, in uh, slugging as well. He was the only guy yeah. I think, above like 420 in slugging in the series. Yeah, we, we talked about it in the aftermath of game six. But yes, they did such a good job with the Astros lineup, which is very good. You know, I don't know what was going on with Alex Bregman, but Bregman looked like he had never swung a baseball bat before. And uh, yeah, I mean, even Altuve's two home runs, were they were both solo homers. Um, one of them was off Drew Smiley in game two when the game was already out of hand a little bit. So it was a just a remarkable job. They did a, a great – I know, you know, if you're – I saw a little bit of all oh, the Astros. They just had a bad week, and, and that's true. Uh, but I think the Braves pitching staff really deserves some credit for the work they did. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, they had the – at least they tied the margin for World Series home run margin – it was 11 to two in the series. The Braves definitely relied on the home run ball as it all year. It was kind of fitting in a lot of ways that the Braves ended up finishing things off by relying on home runs. Cause they kind of did that. Um, they famously led the national league in home runs after the all-star break. Once they made those moves and they had a bunch of guys who were home run leaning guys, you know, Soler and Duvall and Peterson, um, obviously in addition to what they already had in terms of power on the roster. So that was fun. The bullpen was awesome. Uh, a 2.5 ERA in the world series, which is excellent. Uh, under the radar, and then we'll, we can move on. Um, you know, Soler got right, 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 rightful attention for his performance in the World Series. He slugged 800, which I think we mentioned on the show afterwards, and he's the MVP. But, um, you know, they had MVP candidates. You know, Tyler Matzik was one, for, for, for example. But I didn't really realize this. Freddie had a 996 OPS in the World Series. And if not for Jorge Soler, you know, Freddie had a very deserving World Series MVP case. Uh, I, think, I think the right guy won it. But I will cop to the fact that I think Freddie was better than I remembered in the World Series. Yeah. Obviously, he ended it with the two big hits to add to the lead. But for the whole six games, he was pretty awesome. Yeah, he was very – it's weird. You're right. He Almost like his entire career, now that I think about it, he's been under the radar great. And that was probably the quietest thousand OPS that you can possibly have. And I agree. I think just with Soler having the go-ahead home run – in game four on the back-to-back -back homers with Dansby. And then of course the, the three run Homer that will live on forever in, in game six, I think Soler was probably the right guy, but man, uh, it speaks to Freddie Freeman and just how good he is when you can have a tremendous world series. And, you know, we, we all knew Freddie was having a good series. It wasn't like, uh, it was like, man, what's going on with Freddie? No, we knew he was great. Um, but that is worth pointing out and, he is just so good and so consistent and the way that he can change a game uh, in that middle of the lineup is just so much fun. He's pretty good. And we'll talk about him more uh, in about one more sentence, basically. <laughs> but uh, with that all out of the way, we'll probably go through at some point, either you and I or Eric, or maybe, maybe we'll, we'll join forces and kind of go through the moments of the playoff run because it's almost a separate podcast. I feel like people are asking us to kind of reflect on that. I pulled some of those numbers and so did you, but I think there's probably space for a, a literal, maybe a countdown or ranking of the plays and the moments of the, of the run. And that won't be today, but uh, we'll definitely do that. I think at some point, because it's gonna be a lot of a long off season, but hmm. I just want to yeah, say, uh, yeah, for everyone, I know we have a handful of new listeners who maybe weren't with us last off season, but 
Um, the off seasons are long for baseball and it's different than the NFL or the NBA where it goes zero to a hundred and you have like this mass chaos of free agency and trades within like a four day period. Um, the baseball off season for better and worse is a long grind. And uh, we need, we need something to talk about over the next four and a half, five months, especially with the potential lockout coming. Um, but I promise everyone we <laughs> will, uh, we will continue to relive just an incredible playoff run. And really there were just so many great moments. I was thinking about it yesterday, a little bit about, you know, what were the top 10 moments and maybe we'll do a podcast on this, but what were the 10 best moments of the playoffs? And there are so many, it's, it might honestly be hard to narrow it down to 10. And uh, that's, uh, that's obviously a really good thing, right? I think this, this last couple of weeks have been an incredible run and we will be sure to keep living back and, and enjoying what the last month was. Absolutely. And, you know, I know some, and I'm not poking fun at anybody, but I, I know some, some podcasts and all, across sports, I've been on shows where you kind of go dark in the off season that we don't really do that. Um, we might, we might skip a week every once in a while, but we'll be here. We'll have daily hammer stuff throughout the off season. And we'll, we'll, anytime there's a big move, we, we try to uh, as fast as possible react to it. So we're not going to just go quiet until the, until April or until March we'll be here. Um, all right. With that said, the parade was yesterday, and I want to touch on some things. Um, you know, I was uh, watching intently, uh, remotely, for a large portion of it. I thought it was funny that uh, one of the only things that kind of went viral about the parade nationally—I'm talking about beyond the uh, the Atlanta media market—was the uh, the was the buses and their overall speed that they were moving at, particularly when they were downtown. I didn't oh, lo- honestly, I didn't yeah. love this because <laughs> the fact that they slowed way down in Cobb, and you know, there's the whole long history of the Braves moving out of the city, and it brought up some old memories. Like, why are they moving so fast in Atlanta and so slowly in Cobb? I don't love mm. all that. I got to be honest with you, but the visuals was uh was quite funny. And I know you I know you noticed this even from a long way away about how uh, crazy fast they were moving. Yeah, it's funny of all the things that caught on. I was out with some friends last night and even a person who I had never met before came up and he, I think he was a Red Sox fan and he was like, "Man, your guys' buses were flying today." And <laughs> I'm sure that it caught on nationally as you said. Um, yeah, I mean, if I was if I was standing out in the Atlanta downtown for hours and then the buses flew by at like 40 miles an hour, I might be a little like, hey, slow down, fellas. Less but, than uh, thrilled about that. I, I can't imagine being there and like, you know, I think the one video that really made the rounds was probably the fastest it was moving all day. It wasn't all that fast. Like I, I saw some stuff from before that and after it where the buses didn't seem to be moving at a at a uh, at a high speed chase um, tempo. But that was a funny moment. And if you caught it, if you caught it at the wrong time, uh, yeah. I would not have been thrilled either, to be honest. But yeah. there you go. Um, other than that, like the, the parade itself, you know, it was a parade. You got you got people throwing, per, you know, Jock Pearson throwing pearls uh, into uh, into the crowd. That was uh, amusing to me. Uh, the night shift bus, the bullpen bus, was having uh, a lot of fun. It seemed. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to say this for sure. I would speculate, I want to stress, speculate that there probably was some alcohol consumed on the Mm. bullpen bus. Um, AJ, if you had to bet just based on, I think AJ Minter might have been the most drunk. He seemed to be very very affected by the He was gone. (laughs) (laughs) I was worried he was going to fall over when he ran out onto the field at Truist. He had the the great hat on too. You know, he had the the whole look, the whole feel of AJ Minter. 
Yeah. There is now a video, I think it actually got picked up even more so today, about Tyler Matzik almost being arrested at his own parade. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, there, there was also like a he said, she said about this. Like the police kind of said that this, that this didn't happen, but it's it's on video. Um, and I guess the the rub was that Matzik got off the float, which you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but he's also in a uniform. Like he's wearing a Tyler Matzik jersey, and it's very obviously Tyler Matzik. So mm -hmm. I don't know what happened there, but it was kind of on kind of on brand that Matzik, uh, or was some some member of the bullpen, got in some. Yeah. Uh, the guy, some yeah, the guy who got maybe the three biggest outs of the Braves in like 25, 30 years against the Dodgers in that that epic seventh inning that he threw. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> the officer was doing his job. I'm glad that there was obviously a police presence. Some security. <laughs> if yeah. some, some idiot somehow hopped the fence, could do some damage, and they were moving gigantic buses, right? And there's a lot of alcohol being consumed and all that. But um, it was funny. I mean, the guy is a legend. He's a Braves postseason legend now for as long as he lives. Uh, so it was funny to see Metzik almost get arrested at his own parade. Yeah, not what I, that would have been quite a sidebar if it actually kept going. Um, once they got into the park, I will say that was, you know, that's the moment that usually makes the rounds in parades. You know, I've had, I've had to cover some of these remotely in the NBA where I've just been on shift. And I remember the Warriors parade was one that made a lot of headlines. And the part that usually gets the play is the is the final stop where you put you put the whole um, the whole thing up and the you know microphone, podium, all that stuff. It happened on the field at Truist, which was which was a pretty cool venue. It was packed. It was like a forty thousand people. Uh, crowd, you know, surrounding this whole thing, um, and it was cool to see them. Go, everybody walk in; they were all introduced individually. You know, Freddie got the biggest eruption, as you might imagine, as he entered. But Snick got a huge one, and Solaire and Dansby, and everybody got a lot, a lot of love as they as they walked in. Um, I don't think this was uh, all broadcast nationally, so I don't know how much you caught of this. I will just say this: uh, this is not even me editorializing. Joe Simpson was on one in a big way yesterday. He was. Uh, that was a curious choice as MC. Uh, I'm not sure why they landed on Joe to be the MC of the festivities, and he was salty. He was uh, he was throwing shade. He was uh, there were a couple of uh, very clear tee ups for responses, and he was feeling himself in a big way. I, I, it was kind of entertaining. I'll say that. I'm not sure I loved all of it, but it was it was <laughs> certainly like he was uh, in his element to some degree. Yeah, it was. There were a couple moments, right? It was very unproduced, like the whole the whole thing. It was just like handing the microphone from person to person. It's like, anybody want to talk now? Uh, who's yeah. next? Yeah, it was kind of off the cuff as a, you know, if you were working in the TV booth for that one yesterday, I'm sure you were sweating and biting your nails every every moment. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun other than, I mean, there's always just chaos with things like parades and people have been drinking for four hours at that point and you just don't know what's going to come next, but it was an interesting call. I mean, Joe Simpson, of course, is a is a longtime member of the organization. Um, yeah, he was. You're right. He was on one. Is probably the best way to describe <laughs> Joe Simpson yesterday. He was. That uh, uh, was entertaining in some ways. Uh, we had the first comments from Alex Anthopoulos, who uh, still has a COVID diagnosis, although he's not been showing symptoms. He was at the parade outside, kind of in his own uh float slash vehicle to have some distancing and you know all that stuff but they put him in the uh, in the suite and he talked on the microphone for a very brief time but it was good to hear him uh talk at least and he he said that they wanted a red flag when he arrived in atlanta and uh he dropped the flags fly forever which is definitely yeah. the case um that was fun to hear him very uh, much get to celebrate that um one small thing is that Ron Washington was not there, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, he tested yeah. positive for COVID. Seems to be doing okay by all all reports, but he couldn't be there. And obviously, Wash is a great personality. Everybody loves that guy. So mm -hmm. it would have been fun to have him there and just kind of doing Wash things. But unfortunately, we had to celebrate him uh, remotely. Yeah, that was too bad. 
I, I was hoping. Obviously, Wash is such a beloved and really important member of this team. I mean, you talk about one consistent for the Braves. Really, these last couple of years as they've gotten really good is how strong the infield defense has been. And I guarantee you that is because of Ron Washington and, and his tireless work and how he works with the infielders. So it was unfortunate. I'm sure Wash had a great time on his own. But, um, yeah, that was too bad. For sure. And, you know, the poetic moment with Billy Aaron speaking, that was a, that was actually cool to see. Like, no, like, massive highlights from it. But uh, I was glad that they, that they had her there to do that uh, and honor uh, her late husband. And the organization did a good job of that. You know, reflecting on the on, the, on number 44 has been a huge topic uh, how, how how much synergy there was with 44 and uh, pretty cool stuff there. Uh, and then came then came the highlights of the uh, of the podium game. So first thing, uh, I have to say it, it kind of was refreshing to hear and see the fan base really really kind of give it to Freddie in a positive way, both on the entry to the stadium and also when he got out to speak. He did a good job speaking, uh, but that isn't what the headline was. The headline was first Dansby Swanson, uh, kind of with a mic drop, and I and I quote. It might get it might get me in trouble, but resign Freddie, and that was the end of uh, yeah. that was the end of his statement. <laughs> and there was an absolute eruption. I was watching it on TV. I know a lot of people that were there. Everyone said that was the pop of the day. Was when was the first time that was said, and the absolute and then cut, cut to Freddie, who does mm. the like you know arms clenched above his head, kind of like the the begging motion to uh, please have the contract. Uh, Freddie did not say, notably Freddie did not say I'm coming back. He did not say that. Um, but I would have advised him as his agent to not say that. <laughs> So, right. yeah. uh, no worries. I saw somebody, at least somebody tweeted, I think it was a Talking Job account, that was like, well, Freddie didn't say this, maybe he'll leave. And it's like, no, I think if I'm his agent and he says I'm coming back, I'm going to lose my mind. So he should have been coached to not say that. But uh, here's where we stop here for a second, Scott. Uh, I have not I've not heard or talked to anyone on or off the record in the last few days that thinks Freddie's going to leave. No one, no one, no one thinks that. Yeah. At, at the same time, he is going to be a free agent. Uh, he is not under contract. Um, it's not uh, open season until I think Sunday is when free agency starts. But there's that like little one percent where I'm kind of terrified. Yeah. But I, again, again, nobody nobody thinks he's leaving now. There was a lot more negativity a couple couple weeks or even a couple couple months ago. Now they want it after everything that's happened. I think he's probably coming back, but we'll see. I mean, it would be stunning, and it would be stunning to us. It would be stunning to. Braves fans everywhere. It would be stunning to the local media. It would be stunning to the national media. Um, I, again, you're right. I mean, you, you never say never, you never guarantee anything with free agency, but, and this is a good time to probably talk about Freddie here quickly, but yeah, I mean, obviously he is the face of the franchise. He is somebody assuming he stays around. He will have his Jersey retired. He will potentially go to Cooperstown one day with the Atlanta Braves name below his name. Uh, there's a million reasons for him to stay. He has a young family who seem very settled and happy here. And I know he has some family in Southern California, but you know, uh, let's be real. I mean, he is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. If he needs to fly someone out on a private plane, it is not <laughs> difficult. I mean, right. They're not, they're not in the seaboarding class of Southwest airlines. I don't think if you're, if you're Freddie Freeman's father or his brother or something like that. So again, maybe something gets weird here, but just for so many reasons, and we don't need to necessarily rehash them. I think everyone knows why it's so likely that Freddie returns, but um, it would be a true stunner. And you're right. Yesterday's moment was tremendous. Freddie had an off the cuff speech that was just awesome. Um, did you get to hear it? He talked for like three minutes about how fans are just as much a part of this as they are. And 
Yeah, um, no, it was it was great. He he did, and, he did the, the perfect face of the franchise job by Freddie yesterday. Yeah, and I'm sure Freddie had had a couple drinks, and I'm sure you know it wasn't like he was reading off a teleprompter and he rehearsed the speech twenty times in his in his bedroom mirror. Um, it was really great about the importance of being a true team and how every single person on the stage contributed in one way or another. And it was just an awesome moment, a great speech from from the team captain. And and you're right, I think. I, again, I mean, it's funny because though this time a year or two ago, I don't think anyone expected Freddie to ever get to this free agency at all. <laughs> yeah. And now he's a World Series champion. He had a tremendous playoffs by all accounts. It's a very healthy relationship. Everyone's talking like he's coming back, but you're right. At the end of the day, unless something gets done here in the next couple of days, he is going to be a free agent. And it, it all it takes is one team to come in with some asinine offer and to make things suddenly very interesting yeah uh, obviously we're going to be upbeat about this and i think that all signs point to him coming back but they let it go this far that's unfortunate in some ways but he did a great job like you said and even crediting you know this has got underplayed potentially by us but i think it's definitely worth pointing out like freddie thanked the fans and was very very candid about it and part of that was that he he referred to it as the best trade trade deadline in baseball history which might not be true but it's probably up there uh leading to the world series victory um, and also just kind of said, look, if the fans don't come early in the season to fill the ballpark, and he didn't say this, but by extension, fill the pockets of Liberty Media, mm, yeah. they don't make those moves. And he's right. That's kind of an indirect thing. But, you know, it's not every day that fans can claim like directly that they made an impact. But honestly, that is the case. And, they, and they've kind of admitted it multiple times now. So that's cool to see. And him, him acknowledging that was a cool moment. Um, mm. After Dansby did it, you know, Darno and Ozzy both said the same thing about re-signing Freddie. It was, it was honestly fun just to see how much the players want Freddie back. Like that's not breaking news. He's their, you know, he's either the best player or second best player, depending on how you feel about Ronnie. Um, but like just the fact that they were willing to say that on the record. Yeah. They were probably all lit to some extent, to some extent at the parade, <laughs> but they all said it out like, you know, unprompted. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. He is very clearly respected and beloved in the clubhouse. And you know, you talk about a franchise player and making them your franchise player. And you're right. It's a good situation to have when you have both Freddie Freeman and Ron Cacuna Jr. on your team. But I think with, with Freddie, not only is he a tremendous baseball player, but he is the kind of person you want at the, the head of your franchise. He has truly never had an off field thing, like nothing. No. Um, and by all accounts, nobody will say a bad word about the guy. He has a great young family. You know, he's very active and, and around and present in the Atlanta area. Um, so, yeah, again, I mean, I, I don't think anyone expects Freddie not to be here. And get it I done. Be, I, and I think it's one that will get done fairly quickly, too. I mean, there's no, you know, yes, he's, it's, you know, yes, he's 32 years old. Um, historically, players have not, I mean, naturally, father time is undefeated, as they say, but he is not someone who, screams like oh man i don't know like he's not dan ugla where it's like yeah this guy's gonna fall off a mountain when he turned you know when he hits his mid uh, 30s um he projects to kind of age like chipper jones did and we know is maybe he's not flirting with a 400 batting average when he's 40 years old in a couple of years but i mean for so many reasons i, I think freddie comes back and and what a way that would be to, to start an off season if he is one of their early moves and hopefully just keep this thing going and as they say, you win one, and then what do you do? You want to go win another one. And, and it's hard to imagine that not being a thing with Freddie. Yep, for sure. And, yeah, there's there's probably a line they have to draw, even though no one will like that. Like, if it's a 12-year deal for $500 million, are they going to do it? 
probably not, but uh, it won't be that much, I don't think. So no, it'll get done. I think I think it'll get done. We all are very optimistic, but that was kind of the uh, the end the one of the themes anyway of that podium celebration. Yeah. Um, beyond that, uh, Guillermo broke up the sword, which was uh, a fitting conclusion to the season. Long live, long live, long live Guillermo, Guillermo Heredia. Heredia. Uh, he did a great job. Didn't play that much in the playoffs. Didn't need to. Played some defense. He was actually on the field for the final out. Worth noting, he was he was in center field for the final out. Um, yeah, I love that guy. He's too. so much fun. Everyone does. He was uh, he was infectious. It was fun. And then uh, both Jock Peterson and Will Smith uh, used the uh, the MFers description. I won't say the entire word on this podcast for uh, fear of the rating that we'll get on the show. But everyone knows what that family. is. Family, yeah, it's a family uh, it's, show. It's a family show. But that was uh, that was fun too. And uh, large large eruptions from the crowd, from the crowd, <laughs> as you might imagine. And also, I was watching on Bally, um, and. Uh, they they let it slip both times. There was no delay on Valley. Uh, I'm not sure about local news, but uh, it came through on the on, on the broadcast both times that it was said. So uh, I'm sure there's an FCC f- uh, fine coming probably for the folks uh, at Valley mm. at Valley slash Sinclair, but they'll deal with it. I'm sure at that point yeah. in time. Um, anything Worth else it. from the parade, Scott? Uh, before we move on to some actual baseball stuff. Oh man, um, <laughs> probably not. We probably covered it. Just I think we those did. are so much fun. I mean, it's it's just a, a great way to celebrate what was a tremendous team and a tremendous run. I think it was very apparent. This team had a, a deep care and appreciation for one another. I think uh, even Jock Peterson uh, had a really good piece. I think for the players tribune, he wrote about how this team, when he came was just in a pretty bad spot and it would have been easy to be in a bad spot that all the injuries and they just couldn't figure things out. And what a run it was, man, from the beginning of August to now, it's been a crazy three months and, here they are, World Series champions. I don't think a whole lot of people predicted this, but what a run it was! Yeah, unbelievable stuff. And you know, I'll, I'll speak as the person that is is local. It's it's been a, a heck of a scene in the city all week. You know, clearly Friday was the apex of that. With they were talking about a million people um, across the parade route. Uh, that might even be low. I don't know. That, I mean, it was it was twenty thirty deep everywhere along the route. The battery was insane. Uh, it's been just something remarkable to watch, honestly. After all that time, and we talked about it in you know with raw emotion after the win, but uh, all week it's just like everybody's been walking on air. You know all the celebrations, people that I don't regularly hear from about sports. Uh, you know, kind of just moved by the whole thing. So it's been very cool. Uh, we I know we expressed that before, but I wanted to at least say it one more time and uh, cover the parade stuff. And hopefully we'll have more parades to cover in the future. But if not, uh, that was a, it was a fun fun day. Um, you know for everybody. All right, before we uh, turn the page and talk about some off-season stuff, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once in a lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. 
With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, Scott, let us dig in, or not dig in, I should say. We're, we're going to go deep on position stuff, as we always do. Uh, you know, One of our templates in the offseason is to get you know, pre, like full previews on the bullpen, full uh, preview slash reviews, basically, talking about what's what's to come, what's happened in the past, what actually happened, You know, digging into the numbers, all that stuff. We'll do that again. Um, this first one is going to be more like a, some burning, que- burning question stuff, some broad overview stuff about, about what's going to happen, because we've uh, on purpose avoided that topic until right now. It was easier to do this year because of the fact they kept winning. <laughs> but we're now arrived at the offseason. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you win a World Series and it's November. I mean, obviously you want to go as deep as you can, but when you're eliminated at the end of the regular season, there's a solid, what, six weeks that you have to wait for anything to happen. So not this time. (laughs) Just another, (laughs) just another small bonus of winning the world series. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, I won't name anybody, but we got, we were getting some questions, like some stray questions, either, either to me or to all of us or to talking job account about like, 2022 things like during the playoffs and I was like guys I'm not thinking about that right now I can't possibly think about Jorge Soler's <laughs> no, no. next step I, I just don't know yeah uh, and I, it still feels early but we have to do it now and now, now it's time to at least broadly ask some questions um the first thing though is unfortunate and is that there is probably going to be a lockout of some degree um essentially every national writer has reported or indicated or ascertained that there's going to be a lockout on December 2nd of some length. There are varying opinions on how long it's going to be and whether it might impact the season. But the CBA ends December 1st, and uh, there's a lot of negotiations in play. They've been foreshadowing this for a long time. I know we've kind of referenced it on the podcast a few times by now, but um, essentially we might have a three- or four-week period now where we do free agency and maybe some transactions. But if they lock out on December 2nd, which seems very likely, uh, that means the whole wheel stops at that point for as long as that goes, which is unfortunate for everybody involved, but it seems like it might happen. It does seem like it's going to happen. Um, I think I think there's a little bit of cautious optimism that this is not going to get ugly, ugly. I, I'm sure these, as we saw with the kind of negotiations between the players and the owners during the COVID shutdown, you know, that was pretty ugly. I mean, there was a lot of negotiating kind of through the media, if you will. You know, one side would be talking to a couple reporters. The other side would be talking to the other reporters. And it was just an ugly, bad look for the sport, quite honestly. I hope this is not going to be drawn out. If there's something that everybody can point to as a positive reason for getting this resolved is after 2020, everybody wants to get paid Everybody wants a full year. Everybody wants 162 games of fans in the stands. That's from owners to general managers to players. So there is a very common cause here as to why they want to get something done. Um, it might take a little while to, to work through. Again, this you know the CBAs are generally good for what, six years, eight years, something like that. Um, so it's, it's not like they have to do this every other offseason. Um, 
but I do think that there will be some some positive changes and changes made for the better with this. Things like housing for minor leaguers, um, a universal DH, things like that, that I think most everybody is in favor of. And then uh, there will naturally be a sticking point or two that'll get kind of caught up in the weeds. Yeah, I feel like we'll we'll dive into like the specifics on the negotiation as it comes a lot more because especially if that's the only thing that we can talk about. Um, but Universal Day, as you mentioned, also the the owner side desperately wants uh, playoff expansion, which I don't like. But they that's like one of their number one things, so we'll keep an eye on that too. But um, that'll be the last thing we talk about on this for at least until we get closer and until like Doomsday arrives. But it is something we have to keep in our heads as baseball observers that it might have to uh, completely, uh, you know, wall it off for a while. The other positive thing, much more positive thing, I would imagine, for the baseball side of the Braves is that the uh, folks at Liberty Media generated a ton of money in the last quarter plus. Um, they It was reported and they announced that they made $234 million in baseball revenue in the oh. quarter that ended in September. So that does not even include October, in which I've already made the joke that they probably made a few hundred million. Yeah. Um, not yeah. a joke in that uh, in that month of October. So, of course, the the everlasting question is how much they will infuse back into the team. We don't know the answer to that, but uh, I think even um, inside the team, uh, there are rumblings that they're going to up payroll a little bit. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that actually means, but they did they did buy quote unquote at the deadline, and they do have some free agents coming off. But um, it will stun I think everyone involved if they don't spend more. I just don't know how much more. We can't know that, but at the very least, it does seem like they have more money to spend. Yeah, they better spend. And it's the old thing of revenue is not profit and all that. And we're not privy to every dollar that comes in and out of the organization. Of course, they also have the battery, television money, all of the above. Uh, But yes, I mean, this is, I think in normal times, and in 2019, the payroll was up to like, what, 160 or so, 155, 160. Yeah. And then things pulled back last year, which was, I mean, the whole world has pulled back a little bit, right? Yes. (laughs) Very obvious reasons. Um, And so I kind of get that. Um, I hope after, I think the Braves were second in attendance this year, they, they drew in 2.4 million. Um, And then you, as you just noted, they had, uh, I guess what they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight home playoff games. Is that, I mean, it, it cannot be overstated how much money they made having three world series games yeah in that yeah. ballpark and not even just the ballpark they own the battery as well and when i tell you the battery was slammed full for the last two weeks straight basically mm-hmm. it was slammed full for the last two weeks straight plus all the all the straight revenue i mean i you might think i'm kidding they they definitely made nine figures on this playoff run alone oh yeah yeah so i mean again I mean, we don't know how much it's a corporation so they don't have to roll it back into the team but the pitchforks will be out if they don't raise payroll and, yeah. and they, and they should be, I mean, that it's the, they, they printed money this year. They did. They printed money. They brought in, I mean, they, they blew past what they were expecting to make. Um, we'll see what the fourth quarter brings in, but it's going to be a big number. And this is a team that is trying to win another world series. This is not a team on the down, you know, the down run of, of a, a you know, a window where they got a couple titles and it's like, okay, they, we probably need to pull back a little bit and, try to rebuild. No, this team is full go. I mean, they're going to be, uh, without knowing how the off season's going, they had the third or fourth best odds to win the world series again next year in Vegas. Um, that is. Look at you. Ever, that, that was, that was, a, that was a line I would use. Congratulations. I did, to yeah. You, <laughs> yeah well you, you've rubbed off on me. After I have three, 
328 <laughs> podcasts. I am now Vegas correspondent Scott Coleman. Um, You're right, though. By the way, they are. I think they were. I, I saw this the other day, and I, I meant to mention it, and now I have it in front of me. Yeah, they're actually tied for third with the Yankees in what I'm looking yep. at right now, behind the Dodgers and the Astros. I'm sure Braves fans will love not being <laughs> ahead of the Dodgers and the Astros in terms of repeating. But there you yeah, go. it is what it is. And and partly is because those teams spend more money than the Braves do. And you would hope, I know, uh, I, I forget, I believe it was uh, two years ago where they were talking to uh, the ownership group with the Dodgers. And they were talking about payroll and they said, look, every year we make these deep runs in the playoffs and it's worth tens of millions of dollars. That's why we can spend this money so crazily. And I know they have the big TV deal, but again, it's not a coincidence that as the Dodgers and the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, these teams who have made deep playoff runs over the years spend more money. It's because they have all of that October revenue coming in when, when other teams don't. So I'm hopeful uh, they spend money. Of course, you have to spend the money well. We've seen uh, you can't just be the Mets and as much as they would like, just throw money at the wall and try to build a contending team. Uh, you need to find the right fits. You don't want to get into contracts that are going to hamstring you down the road. Um, but yes, they should be ready to spend, and I think they will. Yeah, that's uh, that sort of breaks it down very well. Um, I have to ask you this question, and I'm not trying to jinx the Braves. Hopefully, they'll have something to go sort of push back against because you know they had this improbable run. Uh, I will ask you this, Scott, because I, I I knew this kind of, and then it was reaffirmed to me this week. Do you remember the last time a team won back to back World Series? Um, boy, would it be it, the Yankees? It's, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. It, I was gonna guess the Yankees in the '90s, but yeah, I, the the answer is Yankees in '99, 2000 is the last yep. time. So hmm. that is uh, two plus decades ago. Of course, the Braves were at the losing end of the of one of those. They they, they won three in a row and four out of five. Um, the Braves lost the one in the middle there in '99 to them. But yeah, it's been a while. I mean, there have been lots of teams that were loaded up and potentially ready to crash the party. Do that again, like the like, you know the Dodgers this year were favored to win win two in a row, um, et cetera. But it is it is tough. I'm not sure if that's just if that's just baseball being baseball and how random it, it can sometimes be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not you know. Nothing, there's no rule that says you can't win it two years hmm. in a row, but they'll it's be in the hard. mix for sure. Yeah. It, it is difficult to do, um, and that's just worth pointing out. We talked about Freddie already. That That is clearly the number one decision that's going to get made um, at some point in the hopefully near future. Freddie does begin officially on Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can sign with the team that you're already on until then, but that's when guys actually hit the market is Sunday night at 5, which is one of the reasons why we're recording this today, honestly, as we throw it all together is that, uh, didn't want to record like in the middle of that. Uh, we'll give you a, a full day probably to listen to this podcast. Um, but of course, aside from Freddie, the I think you probably agree with this, but the biggest uh, question mark, and it's a, a wide ranging question mark, is that uh, the entire outfield is going to turn over from this playoff run. Now, Ronald Acuna, of course, projects to be back. He is the team's uh, either best or second best player. He's an absolutely awesome. So you got to write him in and pen in his normal position. But aside from that, all four guys who started World Series games in the outfield are free agents. And then you also throw in the uncertainty with Marcelo Ozuna. And you throw in uh, the potential slash likelihood for a DH. And now you're talking about three positions, four positions sometimes to <laughs> fill. Uh, yeah. Probably three, but you know, if Ronnie has any kind of delay or whatever, maybe it's a four. But I think at, at a bare minimum, you're talking about two starting outfield spots and DH uh, are up for grabs and uh, a bunch of free agents to hit on. Well, and not only we'll see when Ronald is able to make a full-time comeback, but I think the Braves will, as they should play it very cautiously and bring him along as slowly. One of those 
the old Bobby Cox adage of if a guy's ready, you give him one more day type thing. Um, they, for every reason in the world, don't need to rush Ronald back. He, he needs to be 100% coming off that torn ACL. So, yeah, we'll see how that all shakes out. With Ozuna, I would wonder internally if the Braves have an idea of what they're going to be looking at. They, of course, have more information and are, I'm sure, talking with the league regularly about what kind of punishment Marcel is going to face. Uh, they may not know exactly, but I, I think it's a near guarantee that he is going to be suspended. It's just a matter of how long. And I think that's going to play a big role, not only on the roster construction, but for every day that Ozuna is suspended, the Braves don't have to pay him. So he's set to earn, I believe, $18 million next year. If the league hits him with a full year suspension, which is far from a guarantee, we, we don't know that. But if they suspend him for the full year, that's a lot of money. If they suspend him for a third of the season, there's there's repercussions of that. If they suspend him for half the year and, and et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. Um, I think everyone would love to bring back this entire roster, just how enjoyable they were. I don't know if that's feasibly possible from a, a financial and a roster spot uh, case, but we'll see. And I think there's also some opportunities because you have really three and a half outfield openings, depending on what happens with Ozuna, Ozuna and Acuna's recovery. Um, you know, there's also some flexibility and there might be an opportunity to imp improve the team. Um, that's all on the table for Anthopolis and we'll see where it ultimately lands, but it will be an interesting off season to be sure. For sure. We'll get into this more, more when we get into like the positional stuff, but Essentially, you have these four guys, Rosario, Soler, Jock Peterson, and Adam Duvall, who all want to get paid, and they should. I mean, they, they all contributed at a high level to a World Series team. Um, I agree with you on the – I think it's pretty unlikely that they sign all four. Um, that's just intuitive just because of lack of – you know, it only takes one of these guys to get a big offer somewhere else that's not worth matching. I mean, you don't just sign everybody to sign everybody. That's something I will say. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tempting to want to bring everybody back. I totally understand that. It's about prioritization. It's about, you know, track record and what you can trust. Like, for example, Eddie Rosario has kind of hit wherever he's ever been. Um, Jorge Soler has been hot and cold, but his upside's the highest. You know, this guy hit, hit almost 50, 50 home runs and then just turned it on the second half of this season. Like, Jock Peterson was once quite good and has been, like, pretty unimpressive the last two years. At the same yeah, time, yeah. He's, a, he's now a, like, entrenched fan favorite, and if they <laughs> let him go, people are going to be mad. And I get that. And then Duvall, like, we, we poked fun at it, but he has this very strange contract, too. Like, both Jock and Duvall declined these mutual options, so they're not going to be just on the team for sure. But um, Jock is a real free agent. Duvall is arbitration eligible, and they can tender him and keep him if they want to, but it's going to cost them some money. Like, um... The one projection I saw was nine million dollars in arbitration for Adam Duvall. Like that's that's a decent chunk of change. It's not the it's not five million. It's not three million. Like where it's it's a it's a sort of an auto bring back. Nine million is real money for him. So, yeah. All that said, I mean, I I don't really have a guess. Um, the Ozuna thing looms for sure because even if you are on the side of never wanting to watch him play with the Braves again, and I think I'm on that side, um, the money is gonna play a factor here. Just, I mean, because if they want to trade him, they're gonna have to pay to get off of him at this point mm -hmm. in time. Um, it's three more years of money. It's a total of like, and that's guaranteed. They, they, there's also a club option at the end of that, but the guaranteed money is three more years. And it's like, you know, 16, 18 and 18. So you're talking about $50 million basically guaranteed. And that's a lot of money. Um, who knows? Uh, oh, by the way, just to mention, 
they also have Christian Pache, who they still believe in and who was their oh, yeah. opening day center fielder last year. And they also have Drew Waters, who they believe in and who is this guy who's like, you know, getting close to having a major league shot. And you don't want to go into a year, I don't think, next year uh, banking on both of those guys as you're trying to sort of run it back for a World Series team. But they are definitely factors if they're oh, on yeah. this team. So, yeah, you know, it's I'm glad um, Keith Law was – I know Keith Law is a little bit of a polarizing <laughs> writer with fans, but you know, as Keith Law pointed out, yes, Pache did not have a great year, but he is 22 years old and an elite defensive center fielder today. And he has a way to go with the bat, but this idea that, yeah, Pache had six bad weeks to begin the year and he's completely out of the Braves' plans is silly. Drew Waters had a nice year. You're right. And I, at the end of the day, you have a 40-man roster that you have to work around and then a 26-man roster that you have to work around. Um, so you're right. I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have. Again, there's, there is no such thing as too many good players. We should <laughs> highlight that on every single podcast that we do. Uh, and same with the starting rotation. I've seen some, some chatter, and maybe we talk about that now, of, well, you, you have these young guys, and you, you, know, you don't want to not give them a shot, and that's true. But again, you can never have too many good players when you are trying to win a World Series. That is one of our podcast mantras. And look no further than the Atlanta Braves bench in the playoffs. Uh, I know they won the World Series, but the bench was uh, essentially horrible. uh, Aside from the one extra outfielder, it was basically they had they had one bat off the bench and no one else that you wanted to hit the big spot. So depth was not a huge strength of this team this year. And uh, you can't have too much of it. Uh, generally moving forward keep adding boys they they have the money that it's a luxury keep going right yes this team is trying to win again i want to do these world series podcasts again in a year (laughs) brad i don't know about you i mean maybe your sleep schedule might yeah no i will i will sacrifice sleep for another world series i think we can yeah we'll we'll make that happen but yeah i mean again this is it's worth noting and we said this about the mets and the phillies you can't just throw money at a roster and expect it to grow and prosper but um I think you just you just have to be a little greedy, quite honestly. You have to keep going for it. And if that means adding in some depth and figuring it out along the way, you know that injuries are going to happen. You know that guys are going to have a bad stretch or two. Just keep adding on. Do it smartly, but but keep adding and keep trying to make this team as good as it can be. Definitely. Um, and on the infield, clearly Freddie's the question mark, but if he is there, the infield is basically locked in. Um, the only change would be if they made a big trade because everybody else – Darno's under contract. Riley's under con- uh, still under early, you know, pre-arb contract. Dansby, Ozzy, and then there's Freddie. The one question um, is, I guess, with Dansby's future. You know, it never quite feels like he's like 100% entrenched. And it is worth noting, Dansby will, fr- will be a free agent after next season. So he has one more year under contract, and then he's hitting the free agent market. So uh, if they were looking to move on from him, it would be now. I don't think it's going to happen after a World Series run and him having the power that he showed last year. But uh, he's the only guy that's like even kind of semi slightly up for grabs in the (laughs) infield. Otherwise, if Freddie's back, it's going to be the same group. Yeah, we I mean, I think on this podcast, we talked probably during June and July when he was in that one really bad slump. And it's like, man, I I don't know. What does his future look like? I think he had some heroics in the playoffs and he had other than a a bad final couple of weeks to end the year. Uh, you know, he is a very, he is a solid big league shortstop. He is for being the number one pick. I don't think he's ever going to be the superstar that some thought he might be, but as you said, he hits for power. He plays a, plays a very steady shortstop. 
Um, I also don't necessarily think he's a candidate or, or a strong likelihood, I guess, of getting a contract extension. The Braves might want to see how 2022 plays out with Dansby, but I, I, I guess it's not a certainty, but it seems very, very likely he will be back and, and the starter every day in 2022. And it'll be another important year for him. Um, just a, a tremendous postseason, his heroics in games four and six or something that we will talk about uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, and he is a he definitely a, if they have the extension candidate, it's probably him. You know, Riley as well would be the guy, you know, after having the breakout that he had this year, but he's so far away from free agency that, you know, he's maybe an early look extension candidate, but a guy who mm-hmm. um yeah. but Dansby, it's like if they don't extend him this year, it's it gets to be kind of weird and that he'll be hitting the market next year and if he has a good season, he, he won't command a large contract. Uh, it's kind of a situation where like nobody's probably like overjoyed with what he has done to this point in time, but he was pretty good this year and he's a former top, you know, top pedigree guy. And also he'll be young when he's free agency. Like he's going to get paid. if He has a good year. So yep. that's yep. kind of that back and forth of what you want to do at shortstop. Which is the only reason why I even brought it up. Like he's under contract. They don't have to do anything there. And it would not surprise anyone if they just roll with him into the season. Well, but, and Dansby too, we've, we've mentioned this as well, but you know, Dansby is fortunate in the fact that he was a number one pick. So he signed, I think his signing bonus was $6 million. Yeah. He's made some money in his career in a way that most guys have not. Yeah, so he's he's probably close to $20 million in earnings already. So he may not be feeling the crunch the way that other players, young players like himself might feel. Guys who, you know, or yes, they're approaching free agency, but they only have, I mean, only, but they only have a couple million dollars in the bank and they're really wanting to set up themselves and their families. Even if you have a catastrophic injury next year, you're not worried about that, that, that financial security, even if you do, uh, I'm putting it in air quotes, but cost yourself a few dollars <laughs> by doing it, right? You only yeah. make X million instead of Y million. Um, but I think he is not in a scenario where he is, you know, desperate to get a contract signed. And as always, those negotiations, maybe the Braves want to talk to Dansby about an extension. He says, no, I'm going to bet on myself and hit free agency. When you sign an extension, you're dealing with one team versus dealing with 30 teams as a free agent. And that might, that might be, something he's interested in. So we will see how those things uh, transgress this year. Yeah, just to add to what you said, and we'll move on. Uh, Dansby has made about $11 million in his career in the majors, plus the signing bonus. So he's like probably, you know, 18-ish. Uh, and then this year, he's got, he's going to make at least 9 or $10 million in arbitration. So he'll be well over $25 million in career earnings at the end of the yeah, season. So That's not bad. Uh, some comfort <laughs> there probably for him. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, the bullpen, the core guys are back. Will Smith, Tyler Matzik. Luke Jackson, AJ Minter, your top four guys that we talked about ad nauseum in the playoffs. They're all under contract. Um, the most high-profile free agents are uh, Chris Martin and Jesse Chavez. Um, obviously a little bit on the older side for those two guys. They're not key pieces, although they would be interesting to bring back, particularly if they have found what was ailing Martin during the season. Um, so that's 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 kind of it there. You know, bullpens are famously uh, volatile. You know, it's not a lock that all four of the of the high end guys will just be dominant next year because that's just what relievers relievers ha- have happened. You know, AJ Minter famously was the closer, totally lost it, and now has found it again. Tyler Matzik is a great example of a guy who was just like a, totally gone and then came back. So relievers are volatile, but uh, the top four is at least back. Yeah, it's encouraging. Uh, I do worry a little bit about arm fatigue with some of these guys and. For obvious reasons, they had to keep rolling Matzik and Minter and and Luke Jackson and and Will Smith, who had a zero ERA in the World Series. Um, but you you do need to worry a little bit about uh, those guys wearing down a bit after all of the workload they had. Um, 
you know, bullpens are a funny thing, right? It, you can spend a lot of money on them and there's no guarantee, but you can also not spend money on them. And suddenly you're like, wow, who is going to throw the seventh inning tonight? This is bad. Uh, so we'll see. I'm guessing they will add some depth of some kind. Maybe it's not a sexy addition, um, but they, they should add at least a couple arms as they usually do uh, just to give them some options. And as you just said, somebody who is not on our radar will have a tremendous year next year. <laughs> and somebody who we think is going to have a good year is going to have a bad year. Yeah. I, I don't think the Braves are in the market for one of those like, you know, top dollar relievers just because of what they had coming back. Um, so it'll be on the margins if they, if, and when they add some veteran help, but they probably will at some point, we don't know who that's going to be. Um, Arbitration wise, the only real decision is what we talked about earlier with Duvall. Duvall has that tender versus non tender. You know, famously, I have called him non tender as a nickname before because I hated when they non tendered him last year. Yeah. If they non tender him this year, I won't be as I won't be as bothered because nine million is a lot for him. Um, but that's a real decision. It's pretty close. If they tender him, I'll be fine with it. If they don't, I won't throw a fit this time around. Um, let me let me ask you this: as of we're recording this on November sixth. Adam Duvall or Jock Peterson, who is more likely to be on the Braves next year? Because I think uh, I think these guys are are pretty similar. I mean, you know, Duvall's a little better defensively, but Jock is left-handed. Um, you know, Duvall is probably a marginally better hitter, but I think you know you could probably talk me out of that if Jock bounces back. What do you think? The uh, this is going to be a very unsatisfying answer. Uh, the only the reason I I am going to say it's going to be Duvall is because of the contract situation. Um, they they mm-hmm. can tender Adam Duvall and bring him back. It's a one sided negotiation in that yeah. way. If they tender him, they go to arbitration, and yes, it's going to cost them some real money, but it's they have the decision on that. Uh, Jock is a straight ahead free agent. He opted you know he, he opted out of his mutual side of the of the option, um, and because of those two things, I would tell you it's Duvall. Um, I know if you took a poll of Braves fans right now, Jock's approval rating is a lot higher than Duvall's. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody loves Jock, and I, I totally get it. His personality definitely worked very well this year. They definitely love having him around. A closer look at what he's done on the field the last couple years is a lot less satisfying, I will say. Um, he, I know he used to be you know, he was a top-five prospect, all that stuff. He's not a bad player, but mm-hmm. Jock's production – the last couple of years, plus his defense, he's not—he's not in the best shape either. Uh, he's not a guy who may—he may—he may age super well. Um, I don't know. I think if I had to guess who they bring back, it would probably be Duvall of those two guys. Um, honestly, the these and the, and these two are the like lowest. Uh, those two are probably at the bottom of the rung because I know everybody wants Solaire back at this point after the run he had. And then Rosario was basically Mickey Mantle for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I, I mean, do you and agree? Here's, I think, and here's I, I think the interesting. Yeah, I, I would probably lean Duval by a little bit. And then you brought up Jorge Soler, which was I'm, I'm pop quizzing you today. But can this team carry both Marcel Ozuna and Jorge Soler? Well, that's uh, here's the thing about okay. So, one yeah. of the overarching questions, honestly, of the entire offseason is do they have any appetite for Jorge, for Marcel Ozuna playing baseball for the, for the yeah. Braves? Because yeah. if, if they do, and that's a question that we cannot answer, I could give my opinion, especially my you know morality opinion kind of stuff on that. But it doesn't matter what we think at the end of the day. If the front office is not uh, planning on having him around, it becomes a lot easier to invest in Jorge Soler. Um, if they do think that Ozuna will be playing for them at some point in the next year, year plus, 
Um, I agree with you that it would be it would be kind of hard to invest a multi-year contract for some real money because Soler's going to get real money after this run um, in a guy who is probably best as a DH. He's not a terrible, terrible, terrible fielder, but you don't want to probably have big money invested in both Ozuna and Soler. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, I and I mean, I think everyone is a big fan of Jorge Soler right now, and I would I would actively work to bring Jorge back. Like of this group of outfielders, I think Jorge would be my number one. Would he be your top guy? Uh, I think definitely. Obviously, it comes down to price point. But if you just say sure. mine doesn't matter, uh, who is the guy that you would want back baseball wise? I would definitely take Soler. Out of that. I mean, he was just so good. It's upside I mean, too. Like his his ceiling yeah. is the highest by a lot. He got, does. I mean, he is. has legitimate like. 900 OPS upside. Like he is, he's done it before. (laughs) He has exactly right. He is not a guy who came out of nowhere and it's like, okay, yeah, he was amazing for three months, but I don't know about, is this someone we want to tie ourselves to for two or three years, which I think is probably what it's going to take. I would find a way to keep Jorge Soler around, even if, I mean, I, especially again, we, we aren't guaranteed the DH, but I think everybody thinks the DH is coming back. Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea of having Jorge Soler in Atlanta for the next couple of years, I mean, he seems like a good guy. He seems like he fit in well with the clubhouse too. Um, if there was any one of this group of four that I would absolutely want back, you could probably, I mean, you can, they did it. You can throw him in right field and probably live with it. He's only, how old is Soler? 29. Um, he's not old by any means. It's not like he's in his mid thirties and you're just worried about an immediate decline. Um, I would find a way to keep Jorge uh, Soler around if at all possible. Yeah, he'll be 30 for next year. And, you know, we talked about it before, but in 2019, which is not that long ago, Soler hit 48 home runs. Um, and even combined this year, he had, he had a slow start uh, and still got up to, by the end of the regular season, he was 27 home runs for the for the year with a 100 WRC+. And, you know, if you just take his offensive contributions – um, and use the DH properly, like he's definitely an above average DH. So, yeah, we'll see. But uh, I, I do think that, that the Duvall versus Jock comparison is really interesting because I, I, I would be pretty surprised if they if they signed both of Jock and Duvall. Yeah, I would too because both, both guys are going to be close to $10 million. Yeah, well, the thing is, and famously, we've mentioned this, they actually make a ton of sense as, as a platoon. So yeah. I guess the counterpoint would be, you know, is it worth it to go out and spend 18 or $20 million on both of them and have the entire plan for one of the corner spots be platoon these guys? That wouldn't be the worst idea in the world, but I, I think they're going to probably price themselves out of that, I would imagine. So Yeah, and again, and the other thing too, we of course have talked about internals, but there are also players on 29 other teams. There are who free agents, yes. are going to be moving <laughs> around. Uh, there is a, a bit of an abundance of prospect depth especially of the pitching type and even a couple of hitters now in Gwinnett that you might want to consider trading to add a again I mean everyone's riding high as they should off of the heroics of Jock and Duvall and Rosario and all those but there are other players of course other options at least that you can be sure the Braves are going to look at and think about yeah um I, I found the number so last thing was I sort of referred to Jock as not being great the last couple of years and uh, the numbers back that up. He has a 91 OPS plus the last two seasons, which is below average. He has a 721 OPS the last two years, which isn't a disaster, but he's not a great fielder um, as well. So if you just told me that that's what he is, he's not that valuable of a player. Obviously, the locker room stuff and the heroics aside, 
even in the regular season when he got to Atlanta, and he was better in Atlanta, but even then, better was a 752 OPS. Yeah. He, he didn't just, like, go crazy like people might have thought that he did. He, he has moments for sure, but uh, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire in terms of uh, what he's been the last two years. So. Yeah. There might be – it'll be interesting to know what kind of market someone like Jock has. Um, maybe it's a scenario where he does not have a gigantic market. And then you can always circle back to these players. And especially if there's a lockout, you're, everybody's going to have to hit pause um, as they have done. You know, maybe they don't want to necessarily marry themselves early in the off season to a, a big dollar figure to one of these players. And you just kind of say, well, let's see where things are at in January or February. And this is not exclusive to just these two players. It's exclusive to everybody on the team. Um you know, if you if you guarantee a contract on November, whatever, that's all good and well, and you have them on your team for next year. But you do start to remove the options and flexibility that you can have when building a roster. And if you're ultimately trying to build the best roster possible, um, sometimes having a little bit of flexibility is is not a bad thing. No, not at all. And that's the thing. I'm sure that along the way we will get you know, some weirdness with the roster building. There'll be somebody on this team that is making real money that's not on the team right now. That's just the way this stuff works. Someone, they'll, they'll sign somebody, they'll trade for somebody, and who knows who it's going to be. Uh, last thing before, there's actually a little bit of breaking news, at least small breaking news at the end of the podcast that happened as we were recording. Um, the rotation is up, uh, is up in question as well. You know, clearly you have three guys uh, who you can write in pen. Charlie Morton is projected to be back for spring training. Max Freed is Max Freed, and Ian Anderson is Ian Anderson. Um, but that leaves you with two spots available. Um, they could do what they have done a couple times in the past and invest in a veteran. I would recommend that, to be honest with you, at least one. Um, and then they have uh, Enoa, they have Davidson, they have Kyle Wright, they have Kyle Muller, they have Tukey. They have, they have, they have arms, they're young. But uh, you mentioned earlier, you can't have too many starting pitchers either. And I think especially with when you only have three proven major league starters – I would be loath to go into the season without at least one, maybe even two veterans that you don't have on the roster right now. Absolutely. And look, when Charlie Morton, Max Freed, and Ian Anderson are healthy and on the mound, they are tremendous. And nobody's going to argue that point. But there's also the very real fact that Charlie Morton, as good as he was, he is 38 years old and coming off a broken leg in which he had to have surgery for. And while Max Freed and Ian Anderson are younger, they are not immune to injury things can happen um and as we have seen over the years you never have enough starting pitching depth and the Braves are in a fortunate spot with all of these young guys with Enoa and Davidson right Muller a few others along the way in the minors um but I agree I think they will add especially since they lose Drew Smiley I mean Smiley ate a lot of innings too uh, maybe the Braves don't necessarily get into a bidding war for one of the very top options but I think it is uh, very likely they will add a veteran of some kind. Um, of course, there's some, we'll, we'll dig in, but there are some interesting guys who are kind of high upside, high risk uh, types on one-year deals. Maybe they go a, a more, we'll call it a more boring veteran for a lack of better terms, somebody who they can count on as their number four to eat hey, innings. Hey, hey Scott, uh, you want to know who might be that guy? Who's that? Drew Smiley. Uh-uh, no, no, I'm, I'm ready to move. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't. I, I'm mostly I'm mostly uh, kidding. To be fair, I, I'm I, I'm merely saying not for 11 million dollars, but I, I think that there is a chance that they were to bring back Drew Smiley for five million dollars as the fifth starter because they seem to like Drew. He was around. Uh, they won the World Series. I'm not sure if you heard about that. They won the World Series this year. Um, 
I'm just saying, it would not stun me beyond belief if they were to bring back Drew Smiley for a I smaller say, figure. Again, a smaller dollar yes. figure this time around. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I mean, again, if you want to throw him, um, and I'm going to tease this, but I'm sorry to say the Braves have declined the 2022 option on Josh Tomlin. During, the, they, during this podcast, by the way, breaking news. We rarely get live breaking on these podcasts, but you know, if they want to bring Smiley back for a couple million dollars as the Josh Tomlin emergency fifth starter slash throw five innings in a game every two weeks role. I, I would take that. You you can do worse for sure. Um, I would say on November 6th, I know you're half joking. I would say on November 6th, I would hope <laughs> they have their, their height or their sights a little uh, bit I, I'm higher. Sure, I'm sure that they do, but I believe, uh, wasn't it like right around now that they signed Drew Smiley? It's funny. Year? I looked that up. It was November 16th. It was okay. the first signing. So it's worth noting too, and I wanted to get this in today, um, Alex Anthopoulos has been aggressive, especially in free agency the last couple of years. Early. Um, yep. He signed Josh Donaldson and Brian McCann over Thanksgiving weekend or just after it a couple of years ago. Um, he did Drew Smiley very early last year. I think Charlie Morton was also a fairly early signing. Um, so he is somebody who will act pretty quickly for better or worse. And I think it, Again, just because he did something one way two years ago does not mean he's going to do it again this year. Um, I think, of course, they like the, the dollar, and most of those early signings have worked out for the better, um, especially in the case of Donaldson. But yeah. um, we'll see. It's also a weird year with the CBA incoming and all of the things we've talked about with Freddie and Ozuna. And, and yeah, they, they, might, they might have to wait for a little bit, um, particularly yeah. – on Ozuna clarity and Freddie clarity and CBA clarity. This might be a situation where nobody moves fast. I don't really know how it's going to work, but uh, just for record keeping purposes, Morton did sign on November 24th. So he was also an early one, um, as you said. So yeah, anyway, they, my overarching takeaway on the, on the rotation is that uh, I will be bothered if they don't sign or acquire at least one guy you can project to be pretty good as a veteran. Yeah. Um, I know that the the ceiling is high for guys like Wright and Muller and Davidson and even Enoa, even though I've been lower on Enoa than most. Um, you can bank on one of those guys being a MLB quality starter next year. I don't think you can make on two of them. I'm just mm. saying. Um, yeah. And again, you're trying to win a World Series. You need far more than five starters that you can count on, especially oh yeah. in, in the way that they manage innings and Again, there's as we've talked about. I think there's there's reason to add depth here. You can afford to be greedy. You have the money. You're trying to win. Go go make your team as good as it can possibly be and see what happens. Yes, indeed. Uh, and before we get out of here, you you referenced Josh Tomlin, who is uh, that was probably an obvious decline. It was a very cheap 2022 option for Tomlin, but uh, that's now been officially declined as we record this. They also outrighted Terrence Gore to Gwinnett, and they released Grant Dayton. Um, and they also selected the contracts of Alan, I'm not even sure how to say his name, Rangel. Is it Rangel? I have no idea. I would Rangel? guess Rangel. No clue. Yeah. Uh, that's a, where's, uh, where's Eric? When shouts we to Eric. We, yeah, we, need, we need Eric on this podcast. And also Travis Demerit, a very familiar name, has been added to the Major League roster. Um, and they, of course, reinstated both Soroka and Acuna from the 60-day IL. That's just, that's just procedural. They have to be on yeah. the roster now. Um, nothing really to take away from that, honestly. It's just a, one of those like flurry of moves kind of days. Um this was going to happen one of these days. And again, free agency begins on Sunday. So you got to have some, some shifting mm -hmm. going on in your roster. Uh, do you care about any of this? I, I, don't, I don't, I don't really, but there you no, go. I mean, nothing crazy. I, I think I was looking up Alan Rangel a little bit. He has some nice numbers in uh, Mississippi this year. Um, it went to merit. He is of course, roster depth. Um, as we know too, just because you're placed on the 40 man roster, 
does not lock you in by any means. You can very easily be removed from the 40 man roster just as you are added to it. So, um, yeah, it was some procedural stuff. I, I saw it come across, and when I saw a couple of Braves tweets pop up, I thought, "Oh, do we have like a legit Freddy! movie?" Yeah, right. And it's now Josh Tomlin is gone. Sorry no, you, you know this. Listen, for with our with our luck, Freddie will sign uh, in the next hour. And yep. listen, I'll be fine with that. If we, if this podcast becomes irrelevant in thirty minutes because Freddie signs a huge contract with the Braves, I'm fine. That's fine. Yeah, worth it for uh, Freddie Freeman. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, that's a that's again a sort of broader review. We I know we got down some rabbit holes with the outfield and stuff, but um, we'll talk about this stuff in more detail as it comes across. You know, moves can happen in the next few days, and if that happens, we will break into uh, we'll sort of spring into action with some emergency podcasts. And you know, Sean Coleman will have Daily Hammer uh, at least a couple times a week, I believe, is the plan right now. So we'll have content on the uh, on the feed if you're a new listener during the playoffs. As we said at the top of the podcast, we don't we don't go anywhere in the play uh, in the offseason. We'll we'll be here. It won't be every single day. This is not a daily podcast for the most part, although it gets sort of daily-ish mode during the regular season. But we'll have plenty of content, you know, at least every week or so um, on this feed. And it would be great if you subscribe to the show. We had honestly a uh, a surreal outpouring of thanks and appreciation for people during the podcast. I know it made all of us uncomfortable. We've been sharing some of these back and forth, uh, the three of us, me and Scott and Eric about how just awesome it's been to hear from all these people that like the podcast. And that's been, uh, it's honestly been surreal is the only word I can describe Yeah, uh, yeah. about all that. So uh, thank you sincerely to everyone for all of the appreciation and the listens and the downloads. Uh, we had a record month without going into detail. We had a record month by a lot in October, which is awesome. Um, obviously all the credit goes to the race for winning every night, basically <laughs> for the month of October, but uh, right. it was fun. And uh, thanks to everybody for doing that. Yeah. We'll keep it going. Um, off season. We'll, like we said at the top, we're going to recap and just kind of continue to live those amazing moments from the playoffs. Of course, any news that comes on, we'll do the emergency pods, which are always a good time. And and then both look ahead and look back on, on all things Atlanta Braves. So thank you to everybody for tuning in. I'm sure we'll be back here soon. And uh, good to be on with you, Brad. This is one of the few mid-Saturday afternoon podcasts that we've done. It might Usually be a like first. Late. Yeah. 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 This might this might be the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast, at least with me and you. Um, yeah just because the way it fell and we were kind of, there was some urgency to get something on the feed before the flurry of activity starts and uh, the timing worked out. I actually have a rare semi-day off before the Braves, uh, sorry, before the Braves, before the Hawks play late tonight. Your Hawks, Scott Coleman, uh, are back in action tonight. Uh, in Phoenix. You going to the game in Phoenix? Uh, no, unfortunately, I'm, I'm tied up tonight. But it's just down the street from you, right? From, uh, from yeah. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Quick, it's not going to Two hour, yeah, yeah, two hour drive. Yeah. Uh, anyway. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend about the show, and we'll see everybody next time. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI. 
with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.